0: American is a complex of occasions, themselves a geometry of spatial nature. I have this
1: sense that I am one with my skin, plus this, plus this.
0: fucking month man it feels like it's four months long by the end of it i'm broke i'm depressed (laughs) i'm beaten down you know i just i don't know i don't know how much longer i can do january but it's almost over um until it repeats or possibly gets worse in february
1: (laughs) yeah i mean living and living where i live, live like we're at such a high elevation um Thomas and Davis are are the like the highest incorporated towns in the state, like highest elevation. So it is, you know, it is always uh, way colder and snowier up here than it is even 30 miles away. So, you know, like today, it's just been like howling wind, blowing snow, um, freezing cold. I actually love winter myself uh, I probably suffer about as much as anybody does but there's a lot of things that I do like about it I like how things slow down Um, the social environment here can be kind of overwhelming especially in the summer so I like that a lot of that gets pared back Um, I've been getting to do uh, you know more intentional things with smaller groups of people and that's more likely to happen in the winter which is something that I really like yeah um yeah so there are definitely aspects to it it's been a little bit of a rough week for sure but um i would say outside of that i'm actually i'm actually enjoying the season for the most part um i like um
0: i like how oppressive it is it's (laughs) it's, it's me (laughs) yeah yeah you really learn a lot about yourself when you're like locked in your house or uh like like self-discipline sometimes I'm like like lately I've been watching uh just like some some asmr type videos before bed like oh, nice. I, I, I've been on the hoof cleaning you know what I'm talking about like uh, I, I don't please tell me about it oh dude I gotta send you some of these so uh there's a couple really good accounts and then there's a bunch of like you know people trying to hop on the bandwagon I guess or like uh you know impersonators, if you will, but uh, basically what it is is they go to it's it's just a close up of like the sound and the visual uh, of cleaning the dirt and the uh, I guess like overgrowth of the hooves out of donkeys and cows and horses, and so they use yeah, this so awesome. tool that's like a it's like a really sharp spade or like flat knife, and basically they just like go down into the hoof and it'll just like slowly chip away and reveal some of the the new hoof. And then they'll, uh, if you get lucky and uh, you you get the right video in your, in your Instagram algorithm or YouTube algorithm, you'll get to see them put the actual horseshoe on it, which seems so Mm -hmm. satisfying, but man, it is, it lulls me straight to sleep. uh, This, this kind of content, just the sound alone. Satisfying
1: that's the kind of stuff that I've, I've gotten really into similar stuff on YouTube over the last year or so. Um, I even went so far as to get one of those YouTube premium accounts because I was only watching it at bedtime and I just couldn't be interrupted by commercials. They're really jarring, you know, watching like a relaxing video and then there's you know an ad for like the Target credit card suddenly that's screaming at me yeah. while I'm half asleep. I, I Three did, so times. I the bullet. <laughs> Three yeah, times as I loud. Did, did and I got the and I got the YouTube Premium account. And one of the there's a couple of things that I like to watch, which is one it's a uh it's Baumgartner restoration, which kind of has some stuff that's more ASMR type and other stuff that's a little bit more. uh, conceptual about the craft of conserving old paintings but it is just a guy kind of like a really nerdy sort of tool of a guy speaking in this nasally but sonorous voice about how long it's going to take him to scrape all of the old varnish off of the face of this painting and then it's just a close-up shot of him scraping the varnish with a scalpel uh, the other one that I like uh, is this um, is a, it's a South Korean woman uh, called Honey Jubu who it just makes these like immaculate um, videos of her like cooking and cleaning um, her apartment in Seoul, um, not cooking, not cooking and cleaning the apartment, cooking food and cleaning the apartment, <laughs> uh, making making beautiful food, doing stuff like. And now I'm going to wash the rice. You get rid of the first water and then you keep the second water. And now I'm going to water my coffee plant with it. And then I'm going to get all of the wooden bowls out of the cupboard. I'm going to oil them. And it's close up shots of her oiling these bowls. Um, And then the other thing that I like is uh, from the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is uh, just like uh, long interrupted videos of shrimp floating around in a tank uh with like with with like low lo-fi beats playing in the background it's called it's called uh, i've been telling i've been telling everybody i I know about it for months it's it's um it's called two hours of shrimplicity um (laughs) find it on the monterey bay aquariums um youtube feed that's I, I love that. I love that type of stuff. It's it's um, I'm all I'm all in for it. It, mm-hmm. it. it takes takes me right to right to dreamland.
0: Yeah. The ones that are like that appeal to me recently or I guess just get come just come up on my algorithm recently are like the blue like the blue collar ones or like the, the ones that are like, you know, like hoof cleaning, but also like some masonry will come up like Mm -hmm. just watching guys like lay brick and then the sound of them scraping the spade across and, and, uh, getting rid of the, you know, the extra stuff. And then, uh, I watched this guy do an complete, this one was, was kind of embarrassing. It was like a 20 minute video, but basically it was this guy who, uh, just repaved his, his driveway. Um, No, I'm sorry. That's not true. He didn't repave it. That's a lie. It was like deep pressure washing of his driveway, like 20 minutes of it. And uh, it was pretty sick, man. (laughs) Like, I love that. I love that. Uh, The shrimp one I'm going to have to check out, man.
1: Yeah, it's that one is very, very simple. It's it's literally just shrimp bobbing around next to a (laughs) rock. It's
0: like you watch it before bed. yeah yeah. that's good yeah
1: or I'll put it on sometimes if I'm if I'm like working or reading I like to have something on really low volume or muted in the background um Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's like an equivalent of having the radio on for company but if I'm if I'm reading or I'm working on writing I I can't really have anything too intrusive as far as sound goes so I Mm -hmm. listen so i listen to a lot of ambient music while I do that too.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I've been, I've been into that too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been into like, yeah, I'll listen to like the airport album, the Brian Eno album, like the songs for the airport. Mm -hmm. I just have that. Like, that's my go-to. Like um, if I just need noise, I'm probably putting that on. Um, and I'm going to go to Chicago in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited to listen to it in an airport, which I've never done before, because it always escapes me. So maybe and I'll have some the- meta um, fucking uh, realization about airports. And what is the reason for, for your trip to a great American city? <laughs> I'm going for less. Justify reason. it,
1: motherfucker.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. If you escape, you have to kind of have reasons for it. Um... I'm going to Chicago for a conference, but I'm only going. I think I'm only going to go to the conference for one day, uh, the day that I'm supposed to be there, and then I'm just going to go to the museums and eat pizza and hot dogs and probably just like walk around. Um, but I need to. I, I need to send you a photo of this because I was reserving my room, and um, I, w- I was on a little bit of a budget, so I needed. I needed a cheap room, but I didn't want something that was like you know i wanted to be cozy too because i never travel so i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna get something but i got something cheap but it's definitely haunted like it has to be haunted, <laughs> man like this place so the picture i saw that was in the daytime and then when you google image the hotel uh like the congress hotel it literally it has like one of the most ominous photos suggested to you at night with like the 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 uh red letters projected above it, I'll, I'll show it to you. It is, uh, it's quite scary. Uh, I think it's called Congress or yeah. Check this out. I tried to show someone earlier this and it's just like,
1: mm, I got, I got some... something that's got palm trees next to it. Let's see. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, yeah. There's going to be some kind of, uh, you know, you're going to get sucked into some kind of psychosexual labyrinth, probably, you know, but at least, but at least
0: you'll have access to that deep dish pizza. Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to pickles or uh, sliced tomatoes on a hot dog. I don't know about that green relish though. I don't think I've ever had a proper Chicago dog, but I am, I'm a hot dog guy. So I'm definitely gonna, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to be on the hot dog. Um, it
1: it really kind of it really kind of sounds like a like a, pretty much the basis for every Murakami book, which is like a yeah. a creepy hotel that contains something, and then all of the foods of the city surrounding, and that's kind of like the that's all the texture that he really needs to give in any book that he writes. And I'm I'm a I'm a big fan, but like he's he writes the same thing over and over again. And the last thing I read by him was like a a hotel where everybody's fucking, uh, and then some people disappear, but they don't know why. And then there's some more fucking, and then they eat some meals, and, you know.
0: Dude, I so, swear, I, I'm not a fiction writer, so it's easy for me to throw shade at it. Uh, but it seems like, and I don't read <laughs> that much like modern fiction, but I do feel like that's definitely a trope of like... So the last book that I read that was like I guess like, uh, popular fiction or whatever literary fiction I guess was Otessa Mosfey's My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which reminds me of that too. It's like it's not really, you know, like you're in New York, you you're uh, you're like uh, uh, I think she had like a pill problem or something in it, right? Or was addicted to like sleeping sleeping meds or something and would like hijinks would ensue. Maybe this is not a this is not groundbreaking thought here, but it is interesting how how that happens. I do want to read Kafka at the Shore though. I've heard it's good. Did you read that one? Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, I've read that. I've I've read a pile of his books. He's he's. I I would definitely count him among my favorite fiction writers. I'm not super well versed in fiction, but um, I think what I like about him is one I. I don't really have a great knowledge of fiction. And so it's something that when I read it, it takes me out of the stuff that I normally read because yeah. I, I mostly read poetry or things that are kind of like hybrid genre that mm-hmm. sort of sit in between. Um, I like, I like stuff that can, I, I like things that can sort of coast on just being pure atmosphere Um, I, I, I do have a lot of appreciation for that. And, and I also just like the fact that he, you know, he, I just have complicated feelings about him because he has all kinds of dumb shit to say about women and like his writing can at times be like really corny and like, kind of like nakedly, uh, commercial and, and, um, and very like self-serving, um, but I think that he's also, he's also a master of, of atmosphere. And I love all of like the attention to detail. And I love any, any, um, any work of writing that, uh, is, uh has the confidence to just set up things that never pay off. And he's the master yeah. of that, just setting stuff up that never pays off. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I I I have had like a little resurgence of reading fiction um, in the past couple of years, and I've run across some stuff that I really really like. Um, but I don't really have much uh, of any you know uh, any real knowledge of it. Just kind of just kind of pulling stuff you know out off the internet randomly and mm-hmm. trying it for the most part. But I do like him. Kafka on the Shore is really good. Um, it's if you read two or three books by him, then you probably think then you can know what to expect in almost everything that he's ever written. He's just kind of written the
0: same thing over and over again for 40 mm.
1: years. Um so yeah.
0: Yeah, kind of a David Foster Wallace effect in a way. I mean, not to say that every right. David Foster Wallace thing is the is the same thing, but you know, like you're gonna get some like edgy language, at le- I mean, and in, in at least as fiction, right? You're going to get some like edgy characters, some like drug use, you know, you kind of know the world that you're inhabiting, which I think in itself is like pretty remarkable thing for fiction writers to do because especially if it's like successful and good because it obviously speaks to their talent of like world building, things like that. That's all part of it, which is partly why I can't do it uh, is just because I, that's so hard and so labor intensive and i have such a dog shit work ethic there's no (laughs) way i could commit myself to write a novel or anything like that so uh yeah i think that i mean getting like comfortable in your own riffs i think is like it's it's easy to do but it's also like if you're getting like good reception from like people are buying your books and shit it's like yeah, I understand why you're why you're doing this, you know? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's 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 sort of a difference between people who are really, really writing as a vocation and people who yeah. have and and I think for people like us, we're like our participation in it um tends to kind of go in a lot of different directions. And you know, we we both work and we both have just other shit going on like most of the people that i know who write and so it it kind of seeps in wherever it can right um which is a totally different thing when you have this sort of uh yeah this um when it's like when it's a trade and so if you've got something that works and it's actually a matter of selling the next book then you have to you know, that's, I think that's what happens a lot of times is that people do just kind of write the same thing over and over again. It's not necessarily bad. It's just, it, it's, it's writing, um, and liter- literature, you know, once it actually arrives at the commercial level, that's one of the ways that it, that it plays out for people. Um, totally. not yeah. everybody, not everybody, not everybody is a, is a punk about it and <laughs> that's okay. You know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Most of of the people that I know are, um, but that's,
0: you know, that's just reality. Like, yeah. Some people actually want to make money doing this and like live a life, (laughs) you know, I think that's, well, it's like you
1: said, I mean, if there, if there was an opportunity for me to make money doing the type of thing that I do, you would, you know, bet your ass that I would take it, but it's just, my brain just doesn't work like that. Yeah. I, I only, I only have, I don't have, I can't sit at a desk for eight hours and write you know that dude i just kind of i do a little i'll do a little here and there and then i just kind of go about my day because my i just can't like i don't have the mental capacity for it now if somebody was willing to pay me for that kind of bullshit you you bet your ass i would be taking the money (laughs) um but there's not a big market for it it's you know it's a little bit more kind of just for
0: me um Yeah, you hear those stories of people like who get like these book contracts and like their first book contracts and then they blow the advance and then they never like make that money back and then they end up owing the press money. That definitely be me, man. Like I am so financially illiterate and just like also I need to get (laughs) if I could somehow get into fiction writing and uh, get paid for the work and not the output there you go <laughs> that's yeah that's my dream uh but that I, that's obviously not how it works and that's why i'm so impressed by like people like that who are so prolific and obviously like fiction the fiction world is just full of them and and i guess the poetry world is too just to a different maybe degree um but yeah have you ever seen a um hunter thompson's like daily <laughs> Uh, writing routine.
1: No, I haven't. Oh
0: my god, I have to. I have to pull this up and read this to you because um, uh, it's kind of uh, well, it's definitely bizarre. Uh, his daily routine. So, uh, let me read this to you. Uh, one of my friends in grad school, like, actually, it was Graham who we had on the podcast. He read this to me one day and we were drinking playing trivia one night so we used to go to this bar in grad school be like six of us and we would go play trivia but um we would one of our friends nick knew all the answers like every time and we didn't know shit so we just went while he played trivia and we drank and uh but he pulled us up one day because we were talking about. I, I think I was talking about like staying up all night or just being on a weird routine in life. And he said, "Well, you're never gonna be as as weird as Hunter Thompson." So here we go. Uh, 3 p.m. Rise. Okay, <laughs> when he wakes up. 3:05. <laughs> Shivas Regal with the morning paper and Dunhills. So he's three. 3:45. Cocaine. Three. <laughs> 50 another glass of shevis and a dunhill <laughs> 405 first cup of coffee dunhill 415 cocaine 416 orange juice dunhill 430 cocaine 454 cocaine 4 or sorry 505 cocaine Five eleven, <laughs> coffee and Dunhills. Five thirty, more ice in the Shivas. Four forty or five forty-five, cocaine, etc., etc. Is what the line says. <laughs> oh, 6 p.m. here, grass to take the edge off the day. Um, which, which which has been going on for three hours. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's had a tough one, man. He's just been drinking, doing coke, and reading the paper, drinking some coffee. Um, 7.05, Woody's Creek Tavern for lunch. Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunhills, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home a snow cone a glass of of shredded ice uh over which is poured three or four jiggers of chivas (laughs) that's a hell of a fucking lunch man at (laughs) 705 uh nine o'clock start snorting cocaine seriously it says (laughs) 10 o'clock drops acid <clears throat> 11 o'clock char, uh, chartreuse cocaine and grass 1130 cocaine etc etc midnight hunter s thompson is ready to write <laughs> <laughs> 1205 to 6 a.m chart chartreuse cocaine grass Shivas, coffee heineken clove cigarettes grapefruit dunhills orange juice gin uh, continuous pornographic movies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that image of Jim just writing for five hours, just like getting housed on acid, watching watching porn movies on a loop. Um, six, the hot tub, champagne, dove bars, and fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> Dude, just imagine him sitting in the hot tub just housing some fettuccine Alfredo. Oh at eight o'clock, how Hyklon. I'm guessing that's a sleeping pill. And then eight twenty, he goes to sleep. So uh yeah. Maybe that's the routine you need to be successful. If you wanna if you wanna create output as a prolific writer, maybe we're just doing it wrong, man. He it speaks to a, uh, I mean,
1: yeah, some, I mean, what kind of like disposable income are you looking at to, to be able to sustain that? Cause it's, it's not like, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not, you know, uh, uh, light beer and, and Winston's and what well, it's, 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 uh, you know, chartreuse and cocaine and, yeah. um, yeah I, I and clothes and um I i i am i am scare I'm scarcely so scarcely truly productive and and um I don't even drink anymore you know what I mean? yeah.
0: yeah um yeah uh, so, oh yeah so much less have some fettuccine and the alfredo after a few lines of blow and porno movies right
1: well 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 the fettuccine alfredo and the and the and the porno movies is definitely <laughs> something that I can that I am glad to incorporate in my life <laughs> You think, you know, it's more, it's more sustainable for me. Like, I can always go to the store and get fettuccine and a jar of Alfredo sauce. And, like, I can afford my internet bill, which means that I can afford all of the hardcore pornography that I want. Um, I don't really know if it really, if it does anything to, it really just helps me forget about this really sad fact of, uh, of, of being a writer, right? So I'll take all the distraction from that I can get, honestly. Uh,
0: yeah yeah, did
1: good interview with the with, uh, Charles Wright who said that um they asked him about doing drugs in the 70s, had, had he ever written on drugs and he said like he said like yeah, like I used to I used to do cocaine and there was one day when I, you know, I I did I did some blow and I went out to my writing shed or whatever. And I and I wrote something that was that was just perfect and it came right out and then it was done. And he said he realized that, you know, if uh, if cocaine was the was the secret to being able to do that, that he knew that he was not going able going to be able to sustain a career as a writer, <laughs> is pretty much his take on it, um, which is, you know, it's it feels it it's really um which is really oddly wholesome, uh, actually a kind of like, like that. Um, I've never really had any success, um, combining substances with creative work, maybe more so music like drinking and smoking pot. Um, but, um, and maybe occasionally, um, maybe occasionally with writing, but really it's never, it's never, it's never done anything for me. Not, not in that respect. Um, my, my concentration goes out the window. I mean, if I, if I, if I do a bong rip, then (laughs) it's pretty much, it was pretty much guaranteed that like, 10 minutes following the bong rip i'm not going to be immersed in my notebook (laughs) writing away i'm going to be going on a very very long walk and smoking 30 cigarettes that's what i that's that's what i'm that's what i'm going to do oh yeah
0: i'm going to be having a panic attack like too severe to strap myself to a computer chair like i'm going to need to be i'm going to have to touch grass you know like i'm going to have to go outside yeah, yeah. Um, like, uh,
1: I, I I smoke weed and then and then I say, okay, all right. Well, I'll I'll see what happens. Maybe this will get the creative juices flowing. But first, I'm gonna put on Seinfeld, and <laughs> then I'll put on, and then I'll put on Seinfeld, and then I'll find that my panic attack is sort of cresting about ten minutes into an episode of Seinfeld, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I mean, the combination of this show with this substance means that you know, nothing is going to be accomplished for the next two and a half to three hours. Um
0: Yeah. And much less. like imagine if you just had you, you, you strapped in two margaritas, some coleslaw, a taco salad, some <laughs> carrot cake. Like that's what that's where I would my day would end after that. And for him, it's like, no, nope, now I got to do cocaine heavy and keep going into it. But yeah, yeah I'm watching the, Seinfeld. The <laughs>
1: yeah the thing is like for me rising at three immediately uh, starting to drink hard liquor and snort coke was like okay okay it's hardcore it's honor s thompson but it, you know it's hardcore the the carrot cake was the thing that really <laughs> that really caught me i was like god fucking damn dude and bringing carrot cake into the mix um, yeah yeah and- that, that's the thing that'll really lay on you you know <laughs> cocaine and booze and caffeine and cigarettes like you know that'll that'll kind of bring you to sort of a you know you can you can reach an equilibrium with that stuff you cannot reach an equilibrium <laughs> when you're eating carrot cake. carrot cake is meant to fucking take you down um so that's the thing that's amazing that's the really the amazing <laughs> part about it. it also gives me fond memories of drinking chartreuse well i don't know if fond is like is is the right word. But when I lived in Baltimore, my friend always took me to the the bar in his neighborhood in South Baltimore, where he always wanted to like, just, just throw back like whole shots of chartreuse, which my it? understanding is that's, it, it's, it's, um I guess it's like a, a type of liqueur. It's similar to absinthe. It's got some oh, commonalities God. with that. Well, you're not really supposed to just take shots of it. I don't think. I think you're supposed to mix it or sip it like in a in a pair of tea for something. And he would just be like, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna drink. We're gonna drink seven National Bohemians. And if we feel like we've made the cut after drinking our seven Natty Bows, then we're moving on to shots of Chartreuse because I got paid today, and we're and 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 we deserve it. Okay. And it gives you a different kind of effect. It's a it's it is a little bit more of a of a drug like effect when you drink it. And I just remember like stumbling all around South ba- Baltimore, you know, just kind of wondering where my car was after you know a night of drinking that stuff. So um, oh. that's
0: hardcore. That's, that's it's, hardcore. Yeah, I googled it. It's green. I wasn't expecting, yeah. it. but I mean, it's chartreuse, so that makes sense. That's the color, it, you know. It, uh,
1: it, it, yeah.
0: That'll light you oh, up. Oh, it's fucked. It's the, fucked. What's hilarious about this whole thing is like this. Uh, this is a daily, according to this website. Uh, Carol, Jean Carol, who, uh, who I guess like sat with Hunter Thompson for the day. He calls this his daily routine, man. Um, I would need literally probably 10 days to recover from, from this. I don't think, honestly, I would, I would have died by, by, let me see, by five, 5.05 his time. I yeah, would have lived I would two be, hours. I would, be, I would be
1: calling somebody to take me to the hospital by, by 6 o'clock, for oh, sure. Uh, you know, I have kind of a weak constitution. I mean, daily, I mean, even for Hunter S. Thompson, do I believe that that's daily, like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, I believe it was something that he probably that he probably. I mean, those all of those guys uh, definitely uh, had a. Had, you know, arguably their their um guys like him and Bukowski. You know, arguably their their greatest talent was self mythologizing, right? Yeah. So totally. Who fucking who fucking knows? But um, as a as like a uh as uh, great. It's it, it. was very enjoyable to hear that read out loud. So, um, you know I'll take I'll take it for that. I believe that that's what he was doing sometimes. But like, I just yeah. think that your heart would stop. I think yeah. your heart would stop um, sooner than later. I don't know how he died. If he died of an overdose or
0: what, but um, I think he I think he killed himself. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I think he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, he probably saw this guy coming over. And was like, I'm going to give him a real show just to make sure that he writes, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show him how tough I am. And, but I mean, if you can take down that much stuff though, it does kind of, if that's true, if he does that, like one day, it does make you think about like what this guy's tolerance for carrot cake is, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like, yeah, carrot cake is probably the least of his worries at that point for sure, but it is like that that, that is um yeah, that's a still a pretty saucy thing to throw into the mix for
0: sure. Um Oh my gosh. Well, um you wanna talk about this article? Uh where uh, the, the po- how poetry died a hundred years ago. Um <laughs> And it's still dead. And uh, apparently, we got uh, Matthew Walther from the New York Times writing about how uh, it's basically probably the most convoluted uh, thing I have read about poetry in a minute. Like I, I'll be honest, I don't read many things uh, from the from the New York Times, but I definitely don't read many things from the New York Times about poetry. So. Um, but this one got passed around so much online, and I feel like people were were talking about it so much that we had to kind of talk about it on this episode and just kind of try yeah. and delve into this.
1: Yeah, because I don't I don't want to like I don't want to just immediately jump right into uh, fucking roasting him, but I <laughs> but but I will and. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah i think that's fair i mean i was just looking at him had his bio here um and he runs uh the lamp a catholic literary journal and so uh as a little bit of context about it i figured well why not just look at the lamp because uh, i had never heard of that do you know what that is the lamp uh no idea is it is
1: it an abbreviation or is it like the lamp of christ
0: yeah, so <laughs> <it's>, it looks <laughs> like, so it's called The Lamp, and uh, the image is The Lamp of Christ, a Catholic journal of literature, science, and fine arts. And so I was like, this is this is too strange. So I started doing a little bit of digging here, and on the About page, um, let me kind of read you a little bit about this, because I thought it was really funny. But The Lamp is a bi-monthly uh lay edited journal of catholic letters we seek with in-depth reporting commentary a coverage of books in the arts which bring readers a perspective that's not offered by any other generally circulated magazine in the english-speaking world uh, namely that consistent of undiluted catholic orthodoxy and he breaks it down into further things, and uh, one of the questions that he has, like you know how in about pages they'll give, they'll give like, okay, but who are you, and who, well, uh, and what do you think about this? Well, one of the questions is whose side are you on, and uh, the first, <laughs> the first uh, sentence here is the church aside. <laughs> Oh my <laughs> fuck, God. At The Lamp, oh. we take our marching orders from, ne- uh, from neither the discredited ideologies of the progressive left or the libertarian conservative right, nor the neoliberal consensus of atomization, ruthless, uh, rootlessness, mindless entertainment, into which both are rapidly being su- subsumed, but rather from the immutable teachings of the church. Hmm. Mm. so right away we kind of know what this guy's uh
1: right which is sort of uh um positioning the catholic church as uh a force that as as like as a as a force that is uh might actually be neutral somehow uh or
0: or um, anything but morally abhorrent you know like (laughs) that's yeah Um, it's yeah the church is not a side dude it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um,
1: it, it's it's. Um, I, I don't even really know what to say about that. I will say that, like, I I I I felt like I connected with the with the introduction, like, with like kind of the opening of the article in ways because I I felt like there was a genuine appreciation for uh, Elliot being expressed there that as the rest of the article unfolded made me feel kind of sad for him because it kind of it painted a picture in my mind of like a guy whose favorite literature is been uh kind of um that people are fed up with everything that he loves the most and that people don't really appreciate it anymore. And somewhere in this, there is like an, there is a like an, a more interesting argument to be made, which is that, well, you know, love them or hate them. You should, you probably should have uh, some kind of familiarity with like writers from the modernist era because they did influence the, you know, the language and the shape of, of poetry. Um, Am I going to do that? Probably not because they bore me to fucking tears. But like, I'm saying that there is like, there is like a sort of valid argument contained somewhere in there, um, which is not really what he gets to at all. He could have done that. I think that the time that we're living in is, is, Uh, you know, a hundred years later that there are really strong parallels towards the sort of thing that he is talking about, T.S. Eliot talking about, which is like writers writing uh, at a moment when people realize that the industrialized, that the industrialization of the world was not just, uh, was, uh, was becoming like at that junction where it was becoming an inescapable reality that like reality of life on earth was, forever changed because of it. And it was presenting um, like a, a a paradigm shift in human beings' relationship to them, to their true nature and to nature itself, so on and so forth. And I think we're seeing that right now with, with technology, right? It's sort of like, as technology, as like the digital age was ramping up in the 80s and the 90s, it was kind of like a fever dream, all of these new toys everywhere. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And now we're arriving at this point where it is just inescapable reality and people are starting to reckon with the fact that it has is, it is permanently altered our relationship to ourselves, right? The fun time, uh, internet fun time of 1993 is over and now we're living in a completely different world, right? So I think there is, I think there is like an there is um some kind of argument to be made for like, hey, you know, it's probably worth having at least a passing familiarity with writers from that generation, but that's not what he does. He says that he that T. S. Eliot was the first and last arbiter of humanity's um, you know, separation from itself, and then goes on to not substantiate it in anyway not that it's an argument that can be substantiated anyway but where is the where is the where is the evidence that um things of value are not being written now well of course there's no of course there's no evidence in the article because there's no evidence of that in reality right I, i you know
0: yeah i see what you're saying i think it's it's also like continuing the thought of like I mean, it seems like every couple months, at least a few times a year, there's always an article that talks about how poetry's dead or dying or on its way out or never going to be as good as it once was or, you know, something. So it just, it there's always that kind of narrative. And I just wanted to know, like, what you thought about about that. Just, I wonder if it's... I wonder what the root cause of all that is. Like, if it is just like, you know, I think about this a lot with just like living in late capitalism or whatever, where you always have to kind of romanticize things in the past as being like, because it's so impossible to sometimes imagine a future, right? That we always have to kind of thrive on this nostalgic effect of like, oh, how things were so much better when Elliot and Pound were collaborating or uh, poetry is dead, just like everything else is kind of dead. It it just, it annoys me to no end, uh, just because I I don't even think that's a conversation (laughs) worth having to begin with because by what metric is it dead like you were saying and also um why are you talking about it then like logically it makes no sense to continue to talk about something that doesn't exist other than to romanticize it for what it was and i just don't and think all, that's and also, important
1: and also just like all of those like those op-eds that get circulated the most those people are are writers working in a market right so, Yeah. There's there's no mystery about how that shit gets depressed. Like they like it is clickbait. It is glorified fucking clickbait. And every line of it is just it is, is is more of is more of the same. I don't know if clickbait is like the zeitgeist anymore, but um you know what I'm saying. It's it's mm-hmm. it's just it's it's there to draw traffic to the site. And there was a money-making opportunity in some, in some form for, um, there is a money-making opportunity in some form, I assume for people who are writing for publications like that. And so, um, that's, that's one reason that I see it coming to pass and yeah, it's just, it's just so deeply cynical in a way that I cannot, that I can't subscribe to, um, it it's it, obviously it feels very personally invalidating because all of like the uh, my like participation in trying to learn about poetry over the years has been this like really radical force for good in my life and the way that the thing the way that the things that I read make me feel um it's how how can you how can you say to a world full of people who have that very same experience of being dramatically affected by, by reading work by um, poets who have come along since T.S. T.S. Eliot and Ezra Power are fucking like, like, you know, fascist, anti-Semitic, misogynistic, racist motherfucking pieces of shit. First of all, Um, I just want to get that on the table, but like, to say that like people's experience of the world through that art form is not as not has actually not been um that like the the life-altering positive effects that they have felt of that has actually not been real it's all it's almost like fucking gaslighting or something like your experience of it is not valuable the other thing that i was thinking about that i that i think is also super problematic about it is that we're talking about saying that it stopped with T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound and that era. it's like it, it the last good thing written in poetry was written at a time when only white people could pretty much publish books especially yeah. white men like yeah. like what what kind like all of this like is if we were going to kind of frame it in terms of like writing just in the United States like All of like all of these other voices of like black and brown people and women and queer people and all of these marginalized people who have always been there whose voices have been completely wiped from the record like we don't we don't have any we don't have any like representation of that from with a few very notable exceptions we don't have any representation of the voices of those people from that time uh or 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 next to none and it's only been since then really that we've started to even scratch the surface of of, you know, the experience of marginalized people through the art form um, and have only just barely begun to get like a trickle of like that perspective. Um, So it's really invalidating the way that it invalidates everything that came after those guys in that time period is pretty much saying it it just, uh, yeah, all, all of these different groups of people where it took so much longer for there to be any space whatsoever cleared for them at the table. Um, the people who, like, voices that we just didn't have at that time to say that, like, there's no value in that. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? That shit yeah. is insane.
0: Yeah, it makes no sense. And, too, you know, just, like, pointing to high modernists, right? Like, Elliot and Pound, it's like, you have to consider, too, the the class of... Poetry that he's talking about too, which was like, you know, the ivory tower. Ultimately, it, what he's advocating here for is like, well, poetry should have never been disseminated as a tool for like even working class people. It should have mainly stayed within the academy. And I'm going to go on the record here and I'm going to say that just judging by the structure of this article and the way that he includes quotes from Eliot. I don't think Matthew Wather has actually read T.S.L. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least he doesn't understand it. Because, like, just some of the convoluted shit, like, from the first paragraph here, I think this really encompasses just kind of the tangled logic of it all. He says, like many millennials, I was educated, if that's the right word for it, on the internet. The online music critics and anti-war bloggers of the mid-2000s who were my teachers, did not introduce me to T.S. Eliot, but they made sure I had a reasonable detailed opinions about Apocalypse Now, the 2001 update of Francis Ford Coppola's classic war movie. And this meant I had heard Eliot's poem, The Hollow Men, uh, which Marlon Brando reads from in it. But the, the logic there is saying I got educated on the internet, but I didn't find Eliot on the internet. I actually found it through this movie which is so strange to me because he does this exact same form of logic again whenever he talks about poetry being dead he's like I'm not the one I'm not the first person to suggest that poetry is dead and then uh, a couple lines later he's like but of course it's not dead it's like the strangest thing ever to kind of do in I don't know a 900 word op-ed is intentionally be the most convoluted thing but one thing i was talking about about his quote like at the end he or in the second paragraph sorry at the end of the second paragraph he says uh <laughs> He says, not long after I found a copy of Eliot's collected poems in the library, the Hollow Men and a dozen other poems committed themselves effortlessly to my memory, where they had been logged forever. In those days, uh, for reasons I cannot understand and would not wish to understand, even if uh, even now, lest the magic be dispelled, the poems Uh, seem to have an incantatory power. I distinctly recall sitting on the back of the school bus, repeating the mantra of the following lines from the wasteland. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? It's like, of all the lines in the wasteland, you're going to quote, you're going to say that. It also makes no sense. If I saw someone literally sitting on the school bus saying that shit, i would be really close to calling the cops
1: <laughs> yeah it just and that's what i was saying like it it really makes me feel a little it makes me feel a little bit sad for him cuz i i i feel like there's some kind of you know the, the there's some kind of like vengeance being enacted here on like on the people who um probably like people through the years who have told him that he's not allowed to like what he likes <laughs> which i i i feel like it's probably based on how he writes seems like probably um well i don't know i'm not going to go into speculating about 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 the motherfucker's life but like obviously there is um there there is there's like an indignant tone um he even says like i don't know what were they going to do for the centennial of of uh, the wasteland uh, uh a, a giant statue of t.s Elliot in the desert and it's like it's supposed to be a joke but it's also like that that is what you fucking want it's, it's <laughs> yeah. what you actually want i don't think you would have said it unless you actually wanted it you can spin it out you wanted fucking t.s Eliot parade in every town in america <laughs> and you know um i actually i actually read the rebuttal to this first which comes from um this substack that i really love called the sharpener um which is run by sean singer and it's like daily little um curated um, groupings of poems emailed out um every day on a theme um drawing very widely from poetry all, all eras uh, all over the world and then every week some kind of like craft or opinion piece about writing and I just wanted to um read um his like kind of opening um r- rebuttal to sort of uh it's it's kind of his um his character assessment of, um, of uh, Walther. Okay. Um, this is a case of someone talking about poetry who doesn't know what they're talking about. Someone who thinks vanilla is too spicy. Someone in his mom's Oldsmobile while she goes to get scratch off tickets because he brought ninja stars to school. Someone who thinks the Beatles got worse after Revolver. Someone who downloads the Dave Matthews band onto his <laughs> Zoom. Someone who feels comfortable taking a first date to Applebee's and then talking at <clears> length <throat> about his high school growth spurt. Someone who thinks the Randy Quaid, Joan Cusack, Anthony Michael Hall, and Robert Downey Jr. era of Saturday Night Live was the peak. Someone who sits <laughs> with three other old guys in a McDonald's complaining about Orientals quote unquote. Someone who thinks Elon Musk. Is owning the libs someone who misses Paula
0: Dean? Um, you leave Dave Matthews and, Band um, <laughs> <laughs> out no, yeah, I mean, kind of
1: this. No, I'm kidding. It kind of it, it reveals it reveals something about about like uh, about that guy's um, that guy's uh, taste and world worldview world too. Um, yeah, and I also yeah.
0: I also think it's like. It definitely hits on something that you were talking about, and that image of him just sitting on the school bus, like reciting uh, Elliot to himself. It's like you're you are grumpy for the same reasons that those people are just pissed off. You know what I mean? Like you have nothing uh, el- else to kind of uh, talk about, so you're just going to complain about whatever your uninformed in- opinion in, which which is fun. Like you can do that, I suppose, but it's also like. You have to, you run the risk of literally, in my opinion, being considered fascist just based on this kind of uh, nostalgia complex or just ultimately an un, just like a, not a really good nuanced take of what is actually happening, you know? Sorry, I had to interrupt. I don't know what you were going to say.
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, it. yeah, it really, Yeah. And the thing is, is that it really just kind of stops stops short of making its point because there's not really any point to be made. Um, the other thing that I liked, another little excerpt from that article that I like, just a few sentences here. Um, um poetry continues because the periphery will still continue and poets speaking from that periphery will always continue to have value poetry is not connected to subject matter it has nothing to do with our supposed alienation from the natural world um and and i really like that because i i think that i mean for me what i get from that is that it 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 has whatever power you assign to it and if you are open to it as a as uh, you know, a force in your own life, then you kind of get out of it whatever you put into it. Um, and this idea that like there was one person to kind of you know have who had the final word and how poetry um, addresses that gap between um, our society self and our true nature or whatever. That 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 dynamic is always um, is always reevaluating itself and always changing. So I just don't like I don't see how you can make that argument. The thing is, is that he doesn't make that argument. He kind of attempts to make that argument. And then yeah. and then it just sort of ends. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah
0: um, I, I think you're right. I think. Yeah, it, it's an argument that can't be made at least. Outside of anyone, in any way that is credible to a reader, I don't think that this is an argument that could be made any more than, yeah, like, this era of SNL was good or, you know, like, uh, any of that stuff. It's just, it's these, it's literally just, like, personal preference taking, taking the lane here, which I guess I have no problem with um, him preferring poetry from a, from the high modernist era. I I mean, if he wants to do that, but I guess it's good. I think it, one of the things that was like kind of refreshing to hear, um, or at least see from like the online communities is this kind of was coming out was just like how everyone could kind of, everyone kind of knows dog shit when they see it right? Uh, and I think a lot, I don't think, I didn't see many people uh, really like backing this guy up. In fact, it was the opposite. So, that made me feel, I guess, a little bit hopeful about this, too, is uh, just everyone knows kind of how ludicrous and how uh, insane I think this is.
1: Anybody, I mean, anybody who is kind of alive to what's happening around us in our, uh, you know, in our culture it knows that you see something coming in hot from the new york times like you better you know you sh- you need to you need to arms length you know arms <laughs> fucking length. like like uh, on occasion you might you might like find like a decent piece of journalism in there kind of almost by accident um and and, and the same thing for like just generally like solid writing, you might like kind of almost on accident, you know, like I actually, I actually appreciate like the style in which this is written, even though it's completely, you know, a convoluted mess, like, um, which is kind of the problem with the New York times is that there's sort of a sheen of, of forward thinking uh, intellectualism about it, but it's really just the same garbage being peddled by every other place just uh with a little bit more panache um you know like one of the things that i you know the other stuff that i saw while i was going through it was um i saw a link to another article that said like from 2021 here the reason why we need poetry now more than ever it's just it's like a writer's market for for op-ed pieces right the other thing that i saw um (laughs) is like uh, such a such a um like the most like new york times headline ever another separate article that was being linked to nuance is difficult when it involves nazis a museum finds <laughs> a museum <laughs> finds yeah yeah yeah. It's just, uh, yeah like that that like that that um that just like <laughs> I, I can't even just that soft stepping around yeah like, such like blatantly obvious shit like so I mean, it's no surprise that this is that that this is the take that we get from from this publication. Totally, That's really how I feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, in order to uh, be profitable, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with fiction writing, in a sense too. But you got to know your market, and it does seem like maybe some T.S. Eliot stands, or picking up the New York Times, or at least weekly subscribers and things like that so yeah i mean i'm not surprised that that they that they that they kind of i mean i think the new york times really (laughs) a lot of people reading it probably do think that poetry uh died 100 years ago but the good news is i think it's
1: probably it's probably a very affirming for a certain type of reader too right um affirming that you know the the thing you know the things that like the audience of, of the New York times are m- probably most likely to read. It's going to help, <clears throat> you know, affirm them that like uh affirm for them that um, poetry is a waste of time because it seems boring or um, mm-hmm. because, uh, because we haven't figured out how to teach it properly or, or for a number of other reasons. And that's, that's why people don't even bother with it. And it's just, you know, I, I I don't know what to say to anybody about that other than <clears throat> I really uh, get um, so much out of it as this kind of force for self-reflection in my own life and also as a force for uh, community in my life, too. And um, I just think that if you're truly open to something you can you can go where you actually want to go with it and if you're not open to it then that's fine but i don't know why you have to write a fucking op-ed about it
0: (laughs) yeah other than just to sound grouchy or bitch about any of those other things that's outlined in the substack article yeah i mean and two like i don't want to i don't want to get it twisted like i don't think i don't think this type of article is necessarily like dangerous in the same sense indefinitely the sense of like you know like the the nazi example you mentioned about like like that like i think that's actually like irresponsible journalism this is obviously like um it just gives the people who read this an excuse to keep on reading what they're doing not push any of their boundaries keep on going the status quo which is very much aligned with the new york times like ethos and what they're trying to bring to the game anyway so i mean yeah i don't think it's necessarily like dangerous in in that sense but it definitely is limiting to the to the scope but then again it's like this guy and these people aren't aren't our four readers anyway you know like so who gives a shit what 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 they think too um
1: i i I do think that there is i think there is potentially something uh in a very in in a in a a, like kind of subtle in a subtle way uh uh uh, anything that defends elliot and pound to that, that extent is potentially a little bit dangerous or um if he was painting a more complete picture of who they actually were, then yeah. I I wouldn't take such issue with it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like who gives a shit about T. S. Eliot? But the thing that he is right about is that like his influence on the on on the way that people write poetry is 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 monumental. It's still palpable to this day, and it, it's sort of like it's important to know that that is there and like i said even just like a passing familiarity with it you know that is important in in a in a sense of um that those ideas and that and that and that way of writing like has like circulated you know down mm-hmm. through all the bloodlines uh, particularly in american writing and it's kind of like any other any other uh formative text of a culture um like the bible or something like that like or shakespeare like it it is already embedded in the language and so if you don't have any awareness of it then there is a danger that like then that thing expresses itself through you instead of you having an understanding of it and and knowing it when you see it come out of you. Right. So, um, but like I said, that's a tricky line to walk because I don't want, I don't want to spend any time reading Ezra pound ever. And I've tried, I don't want to do it. I don't, my, my life is short. I don't know. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Literally, literally. (laughs) Yeah. You don't need to always.
0: Yeah. You don't need to decode it.
1: (laughs) I all yeah I I so I don't know how how I get myself to um, the level of familiarity with the things that I feel like are necessary to be familiar with in order to be sort of like a good literary citizen almost except like I always want to be reading things that give me pleasure <laughs> yeah I don't I don't want to be subjecting myself to that shit and yet at the same time if I'm trying to write and then share that writing with people then some kind of broader knowledge is important. So I, I don't really know what to do about that other than like, I, I would rather have a yellow jacket crawl up my nose than read T.S. Eliot for 30 minutes uninterrupted.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because it's almost like, well, two things. The first thing that I thought you mentioned that was really good was how he doesn't, Really, mention any of the context behind who Eliot or Pound are as people, right? And he mentions Harold Bloom in this article a little bit as if to say, uh, you know, like a, a justification for why poetry's dead and, you know, new criticism thinking about how poetry. Uh, you know like the magic typewriter in the sky just gave us this kind of work and we have to do a literary analysis to kind of break it down without con- considering any historical context or you know, or, or sorry with considering historical context and very little about you know like the author and and uh, what they're actually kind of who they actually are in that sense it's kind of fascinating how that happens another thing i noticed though too one thing you were talking about like how he leans in heavily to this catholic kind of view of moral obligation you know like he almost hints that in order for poetry to be revitalized you do have to have a foundational understanding you have a moral obligation to want to read these great figures like Eliot and pound so that we can revitalize poetry and so on And that's just dog shit, man. Like that's the same logic that the Catholic church has been pushing for, you know, hundreds of years is like just this moral realignment in order to save the world. And it's just like, dog, that's not real. That don't exist. (laughs) You know? Uh,
1: the, The reason, yeah, for me, the reason to engage with those texts at all is so that you have an understanding of how maybe some dark forces have saturated the language that you speak in. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. and I'm not saying that everything, I'm not saying that everything, uh, it, you know, there, there's a lot of beauty in, in the, there's a lot of beauty in modernist poetry. There's a lot of beauty in the Bible too. Right. It's just like the reasons for coming to that. Yeah. The idea that, that like the, that, um, that like we can, we can find like the correct moral register for our times by referring back to those things. It's like, there is potentially, there is a reason to, to have some familiarity with them. But like, like you're saying, like, that's not fucking, that's not, that's not it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's not going to save the world, man. It's not some kind of pill that we all kind of take. And then our poetry, our art, our world just magically gets better. Um, and that's what I think is fascist about this too it's like that kind of idea but I'm not gonna get too much into that but I I think it is kind of it is strange how that logic kind of carries over and no surprise I mean with his kind of opinions that he outlines in his journal and stuff but another point to back up my initial claim that he's actually never read uh, uh, Elliot there was a correction made the day after this was published and he misquoted, oh, <laughs> he misquoted and he missed, he didn't, up. he didn't misquote, uh, the wasteland, which, you know, is indecipherable, uh, to many people and inaccessible to many people for a variety of reasons. One being time probably, or effort or just, you know, uninterest, unac- in pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of those reasons, which I think are completely valid. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it done a lot of foundational work for the long poem as being a form but aside from that like ultimately yeah i'm not super interested in it but he misquotes the love song of jay offered proof rock which is by far elliot's most famous single poem right uh which makes me kind of weary at this guy. <laughs> absolutely
1: um i have to i have to Pull my cat out of this cardboard box that she's crawling in. (laughs) Excuse me. No, that happens. Uh, That's cool. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can.
0: Oh, chill out a little bit. Dude, it's the Um, funniest thing. Like, whenever I'm on a Zoom or talking in a room, like my cats and my dogs are like, Insane, it's and they're nocturnal creatures too. So, well, not my dog, but my cats are, so you never know what you're gonna get yeah. late at night.
1: My cat really does not like anything, me doing anything where where my back is turned to her, and so um, she's she's a little attention monster and she needs so much attention. Um, so anytime it's very obvious that I'm not giving her attention, she gets a little bit punitive. Um,
0: <laughs> but yeah I mean no I understand that uh, cats are I have my cat Blue is your cat a boy or a girl She. A girl yeah 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 um, my girl cat is like kinda like Frankie she's like kind of aloof and chilling in her old age but man my boy cat Blue he's the neediest motherfucker in the world and obsessed with food dude he is a monster um but yeah i think we got a i think we covered a lot of ground on this article is there anything else you'd like to say um i I, uh
1: i hope i hope that this writer can can find some peace and (laughs) and maybe like a maybe a, a a path towards like a more realistic way to think about like uh you know um Think about anything probably um i it's just i i i always oh the when there's the opportunity to just roast somebody outright i try to think of i always am trying to think of ways to to temper that for myself um to try and find um the little kernels of of you know things that are actually the what what's actually um feels true that's it, being expressed and in the case of this it's just it's just kind of silly like it, it it, you know we don't we don't need any more of these articles and frankly like I, I usually never read them but this one you know really made the rounds so seem, seemed seemed uh, appropriate to
0: talk about it yeah I agree and I think anytime there's another article about this or maybe maybe we owe it to to ourselves to to talk about it or, you know, we could go the other direction. We could just be like drinking Chivas and Dunhill and just chilling <laughs> and, and forget about it all. You know, have a fettuccine in the in the hot tub and, you know, just take it easy. <laughs> I feel like I
1: feel like I feel like the reason why I pursue creative activities is to bring me closer to um things like eating fettuccine in a hot tub. <laughs> I re- I, I, I'm sort of joking, but like I I I I do this because I I I I don't know. Creativity seems like it's it's something that I do to like kind of fortify myself and my way of thinking so that I when I actually go out to engage with real people um you know maybe some part of like my self-esteem has been enhanced or um maybe you gotta be fucking kidding me (laughs) um or 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 that it, it it uh gives or that it presents like access to some kind of a community where i can actually uh go and do what i actually like to do which is you know enjoy intentional time with other human beings. Um, I don't know. I think that like solitary time is, is kind of, is actually kind of frightening to me, which is why I've always found it necessary to fill it with creative shit. So, yeah, um, I, I I would hope that if there's any outcome of, of uh, sitting and trying to figure out how to write poems, it's like all, all ultimately pointing me towards greater likelihood of eating, you know, pasta, you know, in a hot tub. maybe, maybe with other people, um, with other people would be best. So that's yeah. kind of how I feel about it.